Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Defense Deconstructed on the CGAI Podcast Network. I am Charlotte Duval-Antoine, your host for today's episode. On this episode, which we recorded on July 6th, 2023, you'll hear my conversation with Commander of the Royal Canadian Air Force, Lieutenant General Eric Kenny, about attrition, reconstitution, and culture change in his service. This episode is part of a series made possible thanks to the support of the Department of National Defense's Minds Program, as well as CGAI's strategic sponsors, Lockheed Martin Canada, General Dynamics Canada, Irving Shipbuilding, and Henroy Defense. Enjoy the episode. So yeah, we're gonna get right into it uh, with General Kenny. Uh, I'm very pleased to, to have uh, you among us today. Uh, but when we talk about personal issues, there's a wide range of, of concerns that we have to address, but one thing that I want to take, uh, for us to take a moment to acknowledge is the loss of two of your captains last week during the Chinook crash. And I think that I can speak on behalf of all of us in uh, presenting my condolences to their families, but also to the RCEF. Thanks, Charlotte. It's been a very difficult time for the Air Force in particular, for the families of our two fallen uh, pilots and uh, great individuals. I was just at a funeral in Woodstock on Monday this week, and I'll be going to Petawawa tomorrow for uh, another funeral. Very difficult time, and I appreciate all the support that's been provided as we uh, move forward out of this tragedy. So now let, let's talk about a wide range of personnel issues that the military has been facing in, in the past two years. And we're gonna start with the issues around reconstitution and attrition in the, our, the Air Force. So right now, what are some of the most critical um, occupations and, and that you are trying to prioritize today when it comes to reconstituting? Yeah, thanks for the question. I'll, I'll maybe give a, a kind of a broader perspective first and then I'll kind of delve into the specifics. So at our Air Force wings, we have 90 occupations, actually over 90 occupations that work there, some managed by the Army, some by the Navy, some by Chief of Military Personnel, and then we have the Air Force managed occupations. We can't do our job without all members, and I'm just talking now military occupations, but also our public service employees, non-public funds employees, as well as our contractors that work with us as one integrated team. The Air Force manages 28 occupations, regular force and reserve force occupations. I, I'm often asked, how are you doing on your pilot situation? And, and my, my answer is I, I'm actually doing okay when it comes to pilots right now. My challenge with pilots is getting them through the training pipeline to get them through to an operational unit in a timely fashion. The pandemic really hurt us as we shut down pilot training in Musha in particular and Portage. And uh, we're still recovering from that. Uh, having said that, where I'm most critical in terms of occupation strength is in my technical trades, construction engineer trades on the non-commissioned member side, as well as my telecommunication trades and uh, electronic sensor operator uh, as well. So I, I actually have many different aspects that affect our day-to-day -day output. But outside of those Air Force managed trades, the lack of supply technicians, of drivers, of some of the other key enablers, such as human resource administrators, financial support administrators, logistics officers. That's actually what brings this all together and gives us an operational output. So I'm working very closely with the Army, the Navy, and Chief Military Personnel to make sure that we, we have uh, the right skill sets 
recruited in. And then for me as a leadership uh, portion, making sure we're retaining to the max extent possible those, those key competencies that are required to be able to deliver air and space power every day. So when you're looking at the states of those uh, of those occupations that are, that are critical importance for the RCEF to pursue its mission, have you noticed any trends when it comes to retain, retaining those people? And, and what are your short-term goals on that aspect? So from a retention perspective, last year we had a really high attrition rate, the highest that we've seen in quite some time. Um, I, I don't think that's necessarily a surprise coming out of the pandemic where we saw more average uh, attrition rates as job opportunities were going to be a little bit less, at least at the beginning of that pandemic. But now we're seeing a, a actually slight decrease in our attrition rate, which is a good news story um, that whether that's temporal is to be determined. To me, it comes down to quality of service and quality of life. That's what ultimately allows us to retain our, our talent. And we, we do require, I would argue, unique technical skill sets that take a long period of time to train and, and develop. And so any loss of a experienced uh, member of the Air Force has an effect on us. And so we need to treat each person individually in terms of what their expectations are. We, we do talk a lot about leadership and the role that leadership plays, making sure that we can make a connection about what an individual does in the broader mission set that we're trying to do, but at the same time providing the, the support to their families which is critical to uh, many in terms of the decision-making as to whether or not they remain within the military. Working very closely with chief of military personnel on pay and benefits, because that of course always comes up, but I recognize we're never gonna be able to compete with industry. And I don't think that's our goal. What we bring as a value proposition, I think is service to Canada and service to Canadians and, and, a, and a mission set that is, uh, I believe anyways, noble and it's, uh, its nature and, and required, especially at this time of uh, uncertainty and challenge in a global security context that I've never seen in my career, which will only require more of uh, defense security experts moving forward. And for the Air Force, as we look at a significant modernization effort uh, ongoing right now, keeping those individuals to allow us to move forward is really important. What concrete initiatives are you taking on right now at the Air Force level to, to improve not only retention, but also recruitment within, um, within your service? Are you working on some kind of Naval Experience program, but Air Force style? So I'm watching very closely uh, what Admiral Topshi is doing uh, with his program in full support of that, because I think um, not only will it see some successful outcomes, but there'll be opportunities potentially to take that and, and use it within the Air Force Army, Chief Military Personnel across the Canadian Armed Forces. And so as he's described it, it's a pilot project that's ongoing right now. And we'll see uh, in, in due time whether that's successful. Within the Air Force, uh, my focus right now is on attractions and retention. So I don't own recruitment. I think as the group knows, that's done under Chief of Military Personnel. What's important is that I provide the right people to recruiting group to recruit individuals to join the Canadian Armed Forces. But from an attractions perspective, we all have a role to play to make sure that Canadians understand their Air Force and what it does and why it's important to have that moving forward. 
And so we've stood up recently uh, Air Force Attractions team. It's not something that uh, that is relative, that's new, but we've resourced it to a significant level in a period of time where we have less people because I think it's that important. So I have a, a, a large team that's been stood up who is actively moving across the country, whether it's community colleges, universities, high schools, air shows and other, other um, events. And we paired them with recruiting group so that we can not only talk about their force, but actually have somebody there that they can talk to about joining the Canadian Armed Forces if they wish. And then uh, beyond that, we're standing up this summer uh, an intake uh, team that will track all the Air Force specific files that go to recruiting group to make sure that there's appropriate dialogue that goes on for those that wish to join the Air Force and Air Force managed occupations. We've done this and we have been doing this for quite some time for skilled or semi-skilled uh, employees that wish to join the Canadian Armed Forces or those that have left the Air Force and wish to rejoin. Now we're expanding that to do it for everybody that wants to join the Air Force. It's not going to be an easy task. Um, and I'm standing up that team in about a month's time frame, working with CMP to make sure that we have the right mix of individuals and really to give that feedback. Because what I hear is often people go to recruiting center, they apply, and then they don't really know what's going on after that until they maybe get an offer. And so we want to be that link to be uh, more agile and nimble and providing that feedback. Sometimes it's just a nudge to make sure that certain information is being passed on so their file can progress. And other times it's better understanding what's being recruited that's going towards the Air Force. So that's our, our main initiative at this time uh, while we watch what's going on on the Navy side. Another part of the personnel management piece that is that is quite important would, would be training, and and you mentioned part of that. Uh, so in that in that sense, if we look at beyond attraction and recruitment, and maybe more towards uh, training and how to staff uh, teams, what are some of your other personnel related priorities in the Air Force right now? So my focus right now is on providing enough personnel to do the basic ab initial training, basic military qualification training at CFLRS, as we refer to it, uh, recruit school that's in St. Jean. So making sure we have enough people to take the recruits when they come in and get them to their ab initial training within Air Force managed uh, lanes. I've also prioritized the recruiting group to make sure that we have enough people at recruiting group to bring and the right people quite frankly, to bring in uh, those that wish to join Canadian Armed Forces. And then all the Air Force uh, ab initial training that's done at places such as 15 wing Moose Jaw and Portage, 16 wing Borden, making sure that they have the structures required to be able to have the throughput capacity as we bring people on board. What, I, what I'm noticing in, in many cases, we're not getting the recruits through and therefore we're not maximizing the throughput at the ab initial level. However, I'm still keeping those instructors there because it's for sure right now it's picking up in terms of recruitment. I'm happy to answer any questions on that. Uh, so that's that's one side of it. On their side, I'm reducing operational output. Somebody asked me recently, where are you taking risk? I'm, I'm taking risk on operational output. I have to, because I'm currently 2000 people short in regular force from our establishment. And the only way that I can continue to ensure that we're prioritizing ab initial training and getting people to their initial operational training units is to take risks somewhere. And so the risk I'm taking is on operational output, whether that's consolidating air mobility assets in Europe, 
as we pulled out of um, operate, uh, Air Task Force impact, uh, whether that's you know, not doing enhanced air policing right now in Romania, which we have traditionally done every year, although we did it for seven years in a row. I'm very proud of that fact. Make sure we can focus on transitions. We're effectively in transition for the next 10 years as an Air Force. And then finally, I'm prioritizing fourth development. Uh, Strong Secure Engage has given us a significant amount of projects to manage. And at the same time, NORA modernization announced last year gave us another 16 uh, projects that the Air Force is managing. I've just been given an additional 60 positions to manage those new projects that was announced by NORAD modernization. And so I'm prioritizing force development to make sure that we can remain on timelines to modernize the Air Force because the threat is real and it's, and it's here now. And we don't have time uh, to wait 10 years to have that modern Air Force that can be credible and have an operational advantage against our adversary. We need to move as quickly as possible. This episode of Defense Deconstructed is brought to you by Irving Shipbuilding. Canada's national shipbuilder is currently hiring. For more information on the many jobs and opportunities currently available, please visit www.shipsforcanada.ca slash careers. So on the flip side of those personnel related issue and, and the mission set that, that you need to accomplish as an Air Force, there's also the issue of, of culture. Uh, with in the, in the public, we've mostly heard uh, the culture change file as an issue that only CPCC is dealing with, but, but we know that because of the different ways the different services are working, we need to take a service-specific approach to the problem uh, to some extent. So what has this RCEF uh, been doing? And I'm particularly interested because I, I know that you've been putting in place the professional conduct and culture officers uh, throughout your wings. And I would be interested of how those, um, how those occupations are, are fitting in the current structure and, and kind of what the outcomes and outputs you're expecting from those new positions. Yeah, so for sure, this is not for CPCC to develop and, and solve and, and to address. This is a leadership uh, component that the Air Force, I believe, is fully embracing, although we still have a lot of work to do, quite frankly. Um, so uh, I guess as a starting point, we're working, as everybody else is, to create that uh, environment where people are able to bring their authentic self to work, and they're able to be heard and understood, and ultimately feel that they're in a space that allows them to be uh, able to bring up their perspectives because we we all know that having everybody's perspective given to a specific situation will lead to a better outcome and we need to recognize that we will be a better military and a better air force if we create that environment where uh, everybody is well understood and we think of things in a different fashion we spent way too much time uh, thinking alike and we need to start thinking uh, outside of what we have traditionally done so within the Air Force, uh, and I'll, I'll get to your professional conduct and culture officers, and this was started before I came into command, and I'm very proud of the work that's been done. I have a fantastic team leading within the Air Staff on our uh, culture evolution plan, working very closely with CPCC and where they're moving as a department. One of the things that we put in place, and as referred to you by the 
as the professional conduct and culture officers is taking a little bit from what we learned through flight safety. And it's not the same thing, but I'll just try to describe it a little bit. So many decades ago, we had significant accidents and incidents that were occurring within the Air Force. We looked at a mechanism or way to be able to learn from those accidents and incidents so that we can prevent them from occurring in the future. And that ultimately led to the flight safety program that was created, where at each unit, at each wing, at each what we call level two or division level, and then in the air staff from the director of flight safety, we have professionals who are trained in flight safety who provide advice directly to the commanders about what's going on and how we can prevent it from going forward. And we've created a culture, I believe, where every individual can come forward and, and talk about what they did or what they saw without fear of retribution, unless, of course, it's malicious in uh, an act, and, and therefore create a way of preventing that from occurring in the future. We, we need to be a learning organization at the end of the day. So from a culture perspective, we've created 18 positions or reserve forced um, full-time positions at each of the wings, at each of the divisions and within my staff who act as advisors directly to the wing commanders, the division commanders, and to me uh, to help us move culture evolution. So they act as not only an advisor, but also a conduit for members at the wing divisions and at and, and my level to provide us advice about what they're hearing, what they're seeing. They work with the, the defense advisor groups. They work with um, CMC, CMS, uh, CCMSs. They work with uh, the different organizations that have an interest, such as our junior member advisory groups that we've also created to get the ground truth of what's being uh, seen at the squadron unit wing level, providing as well, they meet every two, every two weeks with my team to hear what's happening with CPCC and what's happening within the department. So it's a two-way funnel. We're providing them updates as to what we're doing as a department. They're providing us direct feedback as what they're hearing at the squadron and unit levels, and therefore providing the best advice to commanders on how we can uh, better uh, evolve our culture to be one of inclusion. And I think, um, you know, it, it's a model that at, at this stage, it's still relatively early, appears to be having some good success. We are not currently rolling it down to the unit or squadron level, um, but it's what we have done for flight safety. So it might be the next step that we would wish to do to make sure that these individuals are accessible to all that wish to talk to them, even work with our positive space ambassadors. So they, they have great linkages with everybody uh, at a local level to make sure that we better understand the situation and therefore develop uh, the best climate and best uh, culture that we can as, a, as an Air Force. And further on that, I the, the conversations that, that I've been having throughout this series has been quite officer focused and in quite a high level. Um, but we all know that non-commissioned members and particularly senior non-commissioned members have quite a powerful impact on the culture and the command structure within the military and the Air Force is no exception. So I would like to, to ask you, what kind of role do you envision for non-commissioned members to play in the future of cultural evolution? So just to be clear, everybody has a role to play. Uh, whether that's non-commissioned members, officers, public service, MPF, contractors, because we're just such a connected team 
that um, anybody can change that climate to the positive or to the negative. And so uh, I just, I don't want to focus only on non-commissioned members, but uh, what we're doing right now is every, um, every new chief officer or master officer being trained to be a unit command team partner, undergoing training in Borden at the Air Force Academy. And myself and Chief Front Officer Hall go and talk to them about our expectations in person. In fact, Chief Front Officer Hall, the command chief for the Air Force, spends the entire course with them uh, over the two-week session that they do. We also go talk to all the basic, um, sorry, the PLQ, primary leadership qualification courses, and because we need to do this at all levels, quite frankly, uh, whether that's officer or non-commissioned members, to make sure that we're explaining to them not only what we expect, but why that's important and how they contribute to that in their daily actions. So we're, um, yes, they're critical. We talk to them as well at the um, unit command team training that we do in Winnipeg every year for the brand new command teams that are coming in place about the expectations. We, we bring in CPCC to talk to them directly. We bring in many outside perspectives as well so that they're getting a very diverse uh, understanding of what uh, what right is and how they will contribute to that. And finally, to, to wrap this up, and, and you've mentioned this already, um, the, the Air Force is going through a significant era of, of modernization and, and also taking part in the efforts towards continental defense modernization. Um, You've mentioned that you created 16 new positions to kind of get going on, on those efforts, especially after the announcement you made in, in summer 2022. But what are some of the other personnel related tasks that you would like to undertake so that the Air Force can accelerate its progress on that path and also make sure that uh, there is mission success on that front? And so I thought it was really important to make sure we put out our strategy and I worked with obviously the previous commander, Lieutenant General Meinzinger, as we're, that was being developed over the last few years. The Air Force strategy, which we released in February this year, spoke to four strategic objectives value our people and invest in their future, uh, ready to conduct operations, modernize for tomorrow's fight. And then uh, the last but not least is partnerships. And, and those four objectives, which I will summarize as people, readiness, modernization, and partnerships are key pillars to allow us to move forward to the Air Force of 2035 that I talk about. That Air Force of 2035, from a vision perspective, achieves operational advantages in agile, integrated and inclusive air and space force. And I always make sure I include the space aspect because some people are not necessarily familiar with the fact that Air Force is the functional authority for everything to do with space when it comes to Canadian Air Forces. So a couple, couple points there. One is that we are undergoing a modernization effort that we haven't seen since, uh, I would say, the Second World War. Partially, and quite a bit actually, sorry, to deal with strong, secure, engaged and what it laid out for investments, as well as what was announced, as you mentioned last year, with NORAD modernization. We have approximately 57% of the capital investment project funding going to the Air Force, whether that's for air or space projects. That, uh, modernization will see a very effective air and space force by 2035. It will take us time to get there. 
And that modernization is unrolling as we've just had the announcements in December with the Cormorant Midlife Update uh, project, which quite frankly is a brand new helicopter and we're gonna get 16 of them instead of 13 that we have right now. Uh, the future fighter capability project announcement of the F-35-88 that we'll be purchasing with first deliveries in early 2026 with first uh, members going down to Luke Air Force Base in Phoenix, Arizona in late summer 2025 to get ready for that transition or an extension project that we're doing. And then, uh, you know, watching very closely on strategic tanker transport capability with A330s coming in have a total of nine of them to replace our five A310s that we have now. And I could go on and on. We have so many modernization efforts, uh, projects that are moving through all with deliveries between now and 2030, but not actual full capabilities until about 2035. So I use Air Force of 2035 in particular because by then, based on everything we know right now, those projects that are already approved and funded should be implemented at full operational capability, aside from a few space projects, which will take me a, a little bit longer to get there. So it's really important that we remain focused on the modernization of this Air Force while we retain those that we have and recruit our much needed bench strength so that we can be that force of, uh, of deterrence uh, against some very capable adversaries who I think we should be very concerned about. Uh, not only now, but moving forward, and if required, to fight and win against those if called by the government. And I, and I, I don't think we should uh, lose sight of the fact of that any you know potential delays and implementations or project deliveries puts us at risk as as Canadians to be able to uh, give that deterrence effects and ultimately support with our all our allies. On that note, uh, thank you very much, General, for joining us today. Uh, and thank you for your time and your insights. It was a very valuable conversation. Thanks for listening to this episode of Defense Deconstructed. You can find all other episodes from the CGAI Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find the Canadian Global Affairs Institute on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. If you like what we do, think of donating at cgai.ca slash support. This episode of Defense Constructed was brought to you by our team in Ottawa. And my thanks go to Drew Phillips for providing our music. Thanks for joining us today on Defense Constructed.